I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Omar Khan. Omar is the founder and principal at Boardwalk Wealth, a Dallas-based private equity firm uh, connecting international investors with US-based multifamily real estate opportunities. Led by Omar, Boardwalk Wealth has managed over 350 million plus in multifamily real estate transactions. Um, there's a, for people who can't see it, I guess I'm the only one who can see it, an incredibly impressive bio here, Omar. But I'm going to stop there. First of all, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for taking out the time. I really appreciate having you today. No, I'm very grateful. And thank you for hosting me. I'm very excited to be here today. Absolutely. Um, why don't we start? We'll just have you kind of give us your background, you know, so what got you into real estate, all of that, and a little bit of your journey, and then and then we'll dive in from there. My background is pretty simple, man. My family's a business family. I'm the third generation. Uh, real estate wasn't our business. It isn't our business, whatever you want to say. Uh, they just parked their money in commercial real estate. So I was lucky enough to see. And I mean, now that I see it and I meet people, I realize that they're all their investments were in commercial real estate, which commercial real estate, which I realize is when people tell me, and now I think about it, I realize, oh, that's kind of weird because a lot of people go houses and whatever, and then they go right. to commercial, right? So for us, at least growing up, I didn't see it. Maybe it happened sometime in the past, right? So I had that exposure. Then professionally, I worked in investment banking, finance. I'm a CFA charter holder. Uh, I ran about $3.7 billion of capital financing and M&A transactions. So that gave me... Uh, really just not even a bird's eye view, like a very deep in the trenches view of the capital market side of the equation, the operation side of the equation. I had great mentors in the corporate side. So I had, it was a set of personal and professional experiences, right? I wasn't necessarily looking to get into real estate, but you know, um, when I got married, my wife's a physician, we were, you know, by the grace of God doing well for ourselves. And now it was a time of, okay, well, what's the next step for us, right? And I always had somewhat of an entrepreneurial bent, but you know, for whatever reasons, I'd said, you know, maybe I need to work in an investment bank. Maybe I need to get a better job. You know, that sort of, hey, yeah. got it on paper, at least have a prestigious job sort of deal, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of did that, but I always had the entrepreneurial bent. And then <clears throat> luckily for me, I went to good schools, private schools and colleges, universities, all of that. So I had a good network also, right? I was very grateful for that. So, you know, when it came time, you know, I was what, uh, early 30s, 31 or so. By that time, you know, I had great set of professional experiences, great network. And just basically now I kind of wanted to know what I wanted to do. And real estate seemed to be a good fit. But now looking back, the journey seems very simple. Oh, family owned real estate. And, you know, it's such an attractive thing. But it wasn't such a linear decision. You know, there was lots of like, you know, detours along the way, you do something else. It, It wasn't as linear as now looking back, it seems basically. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an interest. I mean, I would say the majority of the guests I have on did not have a, a background in, in, you know, or limited background, maybe in real estate, didn't have family in it, you know, it's kind of coming from a different career. So it's always cool to get the perspective of someone who, who it, like you were exposed to it through your family, you know, and, 
most people we talk to, and I'm sure you you run into this when you're talking to investors, most people might not even know that it's possible for them to invest in commercial real estate. And so it's certainly a big part of, you know, sort of the educational component of being a syndicator, but you had that exposure just within your family. So I think that that gives you not only, I mean, an early education in the space, but, but a, just a unique set of exposures to it um, that I'm sure has, has served you well. Yeah. And look, it also provides perspective again, right? Because like, like anybody can attest if you're part of the business, you know, if your family, if your dad runs a business, your mom runs a business and, you know, maybe your grandfather ran a business and that type of stuff. Part of that journey also isn't just, Hey, we've all made money in this good. A lot of times there's ups and downs. There's volatility, right? Because some years you're making a lot of money, other years you're not making a lot of money because that's just the nature of the beast with businesses, right? So along the way, you also get to realize uh, that you know you kind of have to be conservative during the good times because you never know when the bad times are going to happen. Yeah. Right. But that perspective, you can read about it, but till you don't actually experience it, right? It's one of those things, right? Where I mean, now I have children, uh, I have two sons, and they're they're learning how to ride a bike and a scooty and all of that stuff. And the comparison I give is I can show them all the videos and show them all, read them all the books about riding a bike or riding a scooty, but they still got to get on the bike and the scooty, right? Yeah. If they don't actually get on it, they kind of fall a few times, try to figure out the balance. Yeah. They're not actually going to learn what it is, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's the act of, of actually doing whatever it is, right? Riding a bike real estate investor, any of that, it, it, the, the reality is, is that there's <clears throat> lots of, especially now there, I mean, they probably could watch hundreds of YouTube videos on how to ride a bike. Like the, the stuff is available to you, but until you put it in practice, it's not really going to help you that much. And I watched a lot of videos of Tony Hawk skateboarding. Right. And, uh, and I can't do any of the stuff he does. <laughs> right. Like, I'm like, I've seen, I've seen a lot of, uh, watch a lot of NFL, but I'm pretty sure that if I got hit by one of those guys, it would, oh, it would I'd be dead. Not want to do it. So it, yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, there's a lot of that experience component of it. And you said your wife's a physician. So it's, it's interesting because a lot of people in, you know, syndicators, they, they look at people, physicians, lawyers, um, people as that are sort of high high earners, high income earners as good passive investors. So within your family relationship, you have the kind of <laughs> the knowledge, the experience uh, on your side, and and then the network of people that need that to be able to you know do something with their with their W two income. Um, so, so I mean, it's a great great combination to be in. How did you? Like when you first started, when you your first you know sort of uh, syndication, how long ago was that? What 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 did that look like for you? How did you get in? It was four or five years ago. I partnered up with a couple of guys I knew. Uh, I primarily raised money for them, right, uh, as a means to get into the game. Uh, but for me, I read. I mean, I realized when I was talking to them as well, and they roped me in that I was managing some of their operations, some of their financial aspects, just based on my background. But obviously, it was their deal, so they were they were running the show but what i realized very quickly was that you know there's one thing to know how to do something but at the end of the day if you don't know how to raise money as an example then all this stuff that you hear about hey you got a good deal money will follow yeah that doesn't really work in real life right what you kind of have to know how to raise money or and a bit like if you look at a business you kind of have to know how to develop your business how to do sales and marketing because you can have the greatest widget on the planet if nobody knows that you exist you don't go out and market the heck out of it, it 
that business isn't going to survive for too long, right? So it's the same with real estate. It's a more capital intensive business than other businesses, right? So it's, and obviously it doesn't have the same upside as some other businesses, but the downside is much lower as well. But in my first couple of deals, I realized, look, I had to learn the, the technical aspect of the operations and the legal stuff and all of that. I knew, right? I mean, I knew enough about, let's put it that way, right? Mm -hmm. You can always learn more, right. but it's the raising the money, the understanding, the marketing angles, all of that sort of stuff. That is just something you you have to learn how to do. And as you mentioned, you know, with my family, our personal social network, um, I already understood I was in that world. So I kind of understood what, what that world entails. But again, understanding is one thing and doing it is something else, right? Until you don't do it, uh, nothing really happens. And this is why I kind of chuckle when a lot of my uh, friends are still in private equity, investment banking, a couple of them are doctors, people in our family. You know, when they say, oh, I could do it also. I was like, sure, why don't you go and do it, right? Because if it's that easy, you should go and do it, but nothing is that easy, right? Yeah. Because even, even if you have the world's greatest network, if they, for instance, they might view you as an example, as a social acquaintance and not a financial consigliere, right? So you only really find these things out when you start doing it. And this is why when I talk to people, a lot of times people say, oh, I can raise a lot of money. I was like, sure. How many times have you raised before? Zero. I was like, all right, well, let me know how that works out. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> I can tell you from experience, it's not easy. And I, I'm always very, um, you know, sort of in awe of people that are good at it because it's it's a... It's a very hard thing to do. Yeah. yeah, it's a skill. It, it's it's a very... Um, it, it's a very useful skill in the world of, of syndication, but it's... it's I think it's, it's a useful skill, period. True, yeah. <laughs> true, about yeah. Syndication. Just generally in life, it's a very useful skill to be able to relate to people, to empathize with them, to have a, a relationship with them where they, where a level of trust is engendered very quickly. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny that my perspective on school and what, what's important for my kids to learn and things like that has actually changed a ton since getting into real estate at this level because i just see i see people that th those skills as you just said like those are life skills that can serve them in whatever they want to do it's not even yeah. it's not even like oh you hear you have to go into real estate it's let's let's be good at <laughs> relating to people talking to people uh you know to some extent marketing whatever it is you're doing you know any, any of that i think is, is really applicable to it's even um, good for instance if you're married and you know like all marriages you're, you're gonna have fights with your wife or husband right yeah. or you're gonna have disagreements i mean everybody's been there but if you kind of have that it's my way the highway sort of deal either man or woman as an example right well that's going to cause a big problem right so you have to have the ability to put yourself in the other person's shoes even in your personal relations and be like okay my wife or my partner or my friend or my cousin or who are my business partner we kind of have a disagreement here what's really causing that i mean yeah i, f yeah, I feel i'm right but i mean what's the other side of this so that skill i feel is very applicable across the board that doesn't mean i don't have fights with my wife yeah. <laughs> so what you, do. Right. you just know know when to when to uh compromise that's the i the would also say i also don't know that yet i'm learning <laughs> It's a it's a work in progress for all. It's of us. a work in progress. Let's put it. Let's put it. And I always find it funny when people say, especially guys say, "I'm." When couples say they're compromising, it really means the guy's compromising. Yeah, yeah. So a compromise usually means someone's giving, <laughs> just giving in and deciding that that their yeah. their side is we, not as yeah. Not we've the, compromised, which means right. the guy compromised. Yeah, <laughs> it's a happy wife, happy life. Yeah. <laughs> so with, with this. It, 
so you started, you raised capital and then kind of got involved on the operations side. Now, how have you, how have you grown and scaled? What, what sort of, uh, you know, you and I spoke before and you, you have, you have a team around you and stuff. I, th- I think speak to some of that, that sort of team building the pro- as you grew your company, what was your process sort of working through that? Well, the process was somewhat simple in the sense, again, easy in theory, very hard in practice, because again, that's still a work in progress. First of all, you have to keep reinvesting into your business, right? Because I see a lot of, and I mean, I'm guilty of this because, you know, often you you slave away for so long and you want to treat yourself and you don't put enough money into your business, right? So first of all, you got to reinvest into the business to the point of it being painful at times, right? So that's the obvious thing, right? So what I did is as we did more deals, I got more fees, I got more profits, I always try to reinvest into my business. Again, that's a work in progress because we still haven't nailed how to hire the right people all the time. Now, I'm very lucky I've got a great team around me, but it's not like a scientific process where I can just go to you and say, hey, Jason, I'm going to teach you how to hire the right people. You understand? So it's still a work in progress that way. Uh, The other deal also is it's hiring. And again, we're on this process more and more, hiring more and more and more specialist people for specialist tasks. Because initially what happens is everybody's kind of doing 15 jobs. But as you grow, you need to give people specific titles, specific jobs, all of that sort of stuff. So again, that's a work in progress. But as we get more money, as we grow, we're kind of doing that reinvesting heavily into the business that primarily boils down to people and software more, more than anything else. But it's just one of those things where you just have to do and uh, you're always kind of playing catch up at least in the first few years, unless I guess you're a genius, because the fear is always, you know, well, I don't might not have enough fees coming in or I might not have enough profits and how I'm going to pay my payroll. Yeah, that's just a, that's just a hurdle you just have to mentally get over. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's not easy for me. Trust me. I mean, I have I mean, I'm uh, I'm thinking about this all the time. Right. But I mean, what are you going to do? Right. No, that that balance, especially in the beginning of having hiring help, but also making sure that you continue to pay them, you know, as 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 it is a business that kind of has its ups and downs. If you don't, yeah. you know, if you do five deals one year and two the next, it's it's a big difference in terms of uh, the other deal. Also, is I know there's a big range of hiring VAs. I mean, I have a few VAs, but I can safely tell you this: that if you pay peanuts, you get monkeys, right? So. VAs are important, don't get me wrong. I'm not shitting on them. We've got a couple of VAs. They're excellent. Mm -hmm. But look, if you want to take your skills to the next level, you want to take your business. And by the way, your income potential to the next level, you have to start hiring a lot of onshore talent, right? And specialist onshore talent, onshore, I mean American, right? And man, things cost money, man. So if you don't pay it, you can't really bitch about it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. What's your, uh, I know you're multifamily. I mean, what's your sort of focus are you doing um value add i know you're doing some development as well what what's what are you looking at in terms of deals so jason first of all the whole purpose of why i do this is to make money right so that that was like i understand different people have different whys like much more profound whys than me because i'm a very simple person right so for me from day one the idea was in a tax efficient manner if i have one dollar as an example how do i stretch it like the most, but within a reasonable amount of risk, because you don't want to go out there on the risk spectrum, right? So for me, look, I own class A's, I own class B's, I have developments, developments that are delivering, developments that we just started. So for me, it all matters, like, okay, within a risk-adjusted perimeters, right, in certain geographies, how can we stretch our dollar without taking too much risk, right? And sometimes that's developments, 
Right now, we're seeing a lot more development opportunities and acquisition opportunities. Sometimes it's acquisitions, right? But you have to keep your ear to the ground and you have to keep in touch with brokers. That's why we're only in a couple of markets, right? And we're not nationwide. I don't want to be nationwide, right? Because the whole idea is if you try to do like 40 markets, right? Or 10 markets, you don't do anything well, right? But if you're in three or four markets, I and even that is big a big stretch as I'm now realizing. Ideally, if you're in one or two markets, that's a lot better way of doing things. So the short answer to this is it's multifamily. Within multifamily, it's value added developments. I don't discriminate. All I look at is on risk adjusted perimeters and basis. Where does our dollar stretch the most, basically? And based on you know sort of the current market conditions, you're seeing that as the opportunities being more within development. Well, yeah. Look, uh, as of right now, yes. But look, think about it this way, right? The market is so fluid. I mean, I didn't, for instance, imagine that big banks like the Silicon Valley Bank or signature banks would go under. As an if you think about it, in the grand scheme yeah. of things. So the market is so fluid that whatever I tell you right now, hey, I'm looking at a development. Maybe you talk to me next month. And I'm looking at an acquisitions deal. You'd be like, dude, you just told me it's development, right? Because again, the fact of the matter is the market is so fluid and our business is to do opportunistic investing, yep. right? So if somebody's in trouble, that's when we really kind of go, right? But I don't know when that's going to, I mean, I can't put it on a calendar, right? It's not like March 1, this is going to happen and April 15th, that's going to happen. So for a lot of this is, you know, you're just waiting for that fat pitch, right? But you don't know when that pitch is coming. That's why you don't keep hitting all the time. You're just waiting. You're just waiting. You're just waiting. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like the op opportunistic approach. And I think there that can mean different things to different people, right? Like in, as you said, you, this company is, is to make money, right? That that's kind of the idea really probably for everybody. You may have some other uh, cause associated with it, but ultimately that achieving, <laughs> achieving those causes is, is going to take some money and, and opportunistic sometimes means, like waiting for someone else to be in distress and, and, and sort of being there to pick up the pieces. Uh, when you say that, is that, are you saying opt opportunistic meaning you're just looking for the right opportunity and you're open to wherever that falls? Within the geographies of where we are, right? right? right. And so for instance, I, I'll just use an example. I'm not in Colorado as an example, right? So the world's greatest deal could be in Colorado. Uh, it could be awesome. But just because I'm not in that market, I mean, to me, it doesn't really exist. Yeah. That has no bearing on whether the deal is good or bad. I mean, the deal could be phenomenal. I'm just not in that market. Yeah, yeah. I, I that I, I think is is really important, and and that was a mistake that I made sort of in the beginning. I thought the idea was be as kind of spread out as I could possibly be. Look at deals in in you know basically every single market. Got me a lot of underwriting experience, but it didn't really help because you, you it's hard to have the team that you need to have in each of those markets to to efficiently operate yeah. um you said that you know that first deal you were raising capital wh where do you kind of see yourself now what seat do you sit in all of them i, I don't know kind of what no. you're doing with your deals now i mean look at the end of the day i sign on the loans i'm typically in the top three or five of the biggest investors in my deal and there's a lot of you know like skin in the game, essentially. Yeah. So while all roads lead to me, we have people in investor relations, investor servicing, accounting, uh, controllers, I have a great controller, great investor relations person, great chief of staff, great operations people. So there are people for various things. We And again, we're, we're working better and better at it on establishing better and better and better reporting structures. So while I 
I look at all of these things on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, operations is my bread and butter, but I have operational people where we set certain perimeters, we set a game plan, and we're working within that game plan. If some anomaly happens, they let me know. But every week we have every week twice we have a quick touch base. One is an hour-long touch base, and one is a 15-minute touch base. Right? You know, we, you, we have a Monday morning meeting, and we'll have a Wednesday and Thursday meeting, and that doesn't mean. During the week, we don't talk because right now, I mean, you don't see it, but on my other screen, there's Slack. So I see all my uh, employees and different products, projects. So if there's an issue, we deal with that as well. But that's an ongoing thing, right? Basically. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it just speaks to the importance of, of building that team. If you want, I think if you want to grow and scale and really have this be, you know, excess, a successful business beyond doing a handful of deals, you've really got to put the, the people in place. And I, I see that with, some of the 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 really successful investors that I that I look up to, some of my mentors, yourself, I like, I I like really seeing that business focus, right? Like just putting it together as you know, it's not just a deal. It's how are we going to build this company to continue to do deals and do do the best we can for our investors. I think I think that's really an important um, component to essentially that growth. Yeah. This, Omar, what what do you think? You know, obviously, you mentioned the the banks collapse. The what do you think about the current economy? Where where do you see this going? I know you don't have a crystal ball, but I'm just kind of curious man, what your thoughts on. I have on no freaking idea, man. I was going to be honest with you. I have no idea. Uh, if I knew, I wouldn't be in real estate. I can tell you that. I'm gonna be rich. <laughs> right, <laughs> I'd be rich. Right. You have uh, the crystal I, ball. We, yeah, we just hope, or rather, I hope that. Uh, Look, our properties operationally are performing admirably, right? So I just want to keep doing that these days. There's a lot of bad juju out there, right? <laughs> operationally, our properties are doing fine. We're getting rent pumps. We're, we're going through all of that process. Uh, it's just that the capital markets suck. I mean, anybody who owns the properties right now knows about it. Mm -hmm. And our hope is basically, look, you know, next week, the FOMC meeting is with the Fed, the March meeting. I don't know when you publish this, but not to date it. So, I mean, look, the consensus says that they announced a 25 basis point hike, right? But if they stop after that, well, that takes away a lot of the volatility in the market, right? Uh, so hopefully that's good. But again, look, if they say, screw everybody, we're going for a what, 50 basis point increase and everybody can die. Well, then I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> yeah, right? So that's... my point is that it's not necessarily, I feel that the absolute rate that's an issue it's a lack of uncertainty. It's a lack of guidance. It's a it's a volatility at which things are keep changing. They just bounce like a, right. you know, we're essentially, I mean, I can say this because I grew up in a third world country. This is America's essentially acting like a drunk third world country. Like, you, you, I mean, come on, this is the greatest country on the planet. And you're seriously telling me that one day you're like, one year you're giving people money and the next year you're jacking up the interest. Like it's, it's crazy. I mean, you you understand this makes zero sense. I mean, it's like a it's like a junkie going from one fix to another fix. Yeah. I mean, and this is in the greatest country on the planet. I mean, come on. It's true. It's true. I I mean, and I I am surely not an economist, but I, I there is no way that any of this makes any sense to me. I yeah, you just don't, don't. By the way, you it. don't have to be an economist to know that uh, when dumb things happen, you, yeah. you don't have to be an economist to know <laughs> dumb. Things it does seem just really dumb. I mean, that that's it. It just doesn't make. It's, it's like. Man, the greatest country in humanity's history, and it's acting, and and the political class is acting like there's a bunch of like junkies. 
going from one fix to another. I mean, yeah. that should be shameful in a country as great as America, man. Yeah, no, it's it's not uh, it's certainly not <laughs> nothing to be proud of what has happened over these last few years. But um, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, all right, well let let me switch gears here. I want to I want to get to ask you the questions that I ask every guest. Um, the first one's uh, based on the name of the show, and you you did touch on this a little bit, but um, shows know your why. So so what is your why? I know, and he said you know you're in it in it to make money. Um, but I'm in real estate, man. If I was that intelligent or profound, I would not be in real estate. I'm gonna not to offend people in real estate, but if I was that intelligent or profound, and um, yeah. I, I would have a different reason, but I'm not. And that's fine. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll ask your wife. She's a physician. She can. Yeah, she she, can you might ask her. I mean, she, she is more altruistic and she's definitely has her head screwed on correctly. Look, I was very lucky. I told you, I grew up now looking back. I realized my parents were, they, they are awesome. Were, were awesome. They are awesome. I led a very sheltered life. I, I'm very grateful for all the things that have happened to me and not just, you know, parentally, so many people along my life have opened, have been so kind. They've opened so many doors when they didn't have to open doors when they didn't even know me. They were strangers. They didn't, they didn't have to do anything, right? That I just feel very blessed, man. I mean, I've so many people have opened so many doors and people who didn't even know me that, man, I'm, I'm chilling, man. I'm, I'm just happy. Awesome. Awesome. Um, next question. Tell us something about yourself that, that, isn't common knowledge, special skill, a hobby, something. Just oh, like dude, I can't tell you that. No, 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 let's pass on that. I can't, I'm not, let's tell you maybe offline. We're not going to do it. All right. <laughs> if you told us, you'd have to kill us. Yeah, like, yeah. Very, very, I wish very I was that cool. I wish I was that cool, but yeah, no, sadly. No, there's nothing about me, man. I'm a pretty open book uh, in the sense that, uh, you know, there's, I, I went, look, a lot of people have asked these questions. I always think, man, people give very creative, interesting answers. I was like, man, these people must be really cool. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm just a conventional guy, man. I, I was lucky. I went to good schools. I mean, I didn't do something super creative. I was in finance. I did my CFA. Nothing screams creative over here, right? right. Uh, so <laughs> I wish I had a cooler answer than that, man. No, it's fine. It, there's no right answers here. Um, <laughs> when people hear this and they want to reach out to you, what's the best way? Well, the simplest and easiest way for you to do this is that you can join my mailing list by going to my website, boardwalkwealth.com. That's B-O-A-R-D, walkwealth.com. The form is right on the homepage. Again, that's at boardwalkwealth.com. Perfect. And we'll put that in the show notes. Um, last question, Omar. What's a piece of advice you would give to someone who wants to get started in real estate? What, what would Just, you tell them to get them going? Don't worry about real estate. Just worry about marketing. I wish I knew that. But I, I had to learn the hard way. It is. Uh, I, I, I am learning the hard way. Just, just how, just how important that is. I think that's a, a huge piece of advice. Um, awesome. Well, thank you, thank you for taking the time out today. Thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate having you and all that you shared with us. Uh, it's, it's been great. Hey, the pleasure's all mine. Thank you so much, sir. Really right. appreciate it. Have a good one. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.